we're very location specific. So while we do dive into more broad tasks, broad ideas and everything like, you know, return on equity or cost seg, for instance, we do like to be hyper-focused and spend a lot of time doing deal analyses of deals that our clients have closed, highlighting different options for people out there. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, Yona Weiss, on this wonderful day. Excited to be here with yet another Jenny on the show. I was joking about that before. I've actually interviewed two Jennies today, including Jenny Bayless, our the best Jenny of the day, that's for sure. So welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. Excited to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm glad to get the acclaimed Jenny of the day title. So, <laughs> you know, it was a hard pick and we haven't even started yet. So we have a lot to live up to, but just great to have you on the show. I know we had one of your partners, Chris Lopez on the show many moons ago. Great guy out in Denver. And I know you as well working together in the Denver real estate market, doing so many things. I don't even know where to begin. So why don't you just begin for us? Give us a little background, you know, what you've been doing in the real estate world and maybe how you got started. Yeah. So I guess I was an investor first is kind of the best way to describe it. So investor first, then I left my day job and became a realtor full-time linked up with Chris, as you mentioned, and, you know, it's been a fantastic partnership ever since. And yeah, so he he does his thing up in the Denver area. I'm down in Colorado Springs. So we kind of have a you know pretty wide net over the I-25 corridor, if you're familiar with the area. So yeah, just, you know, really just investment focused real estate agents and helping people figure out what exactly their strategy is, how to execute it. And having been an investor first, I think that, you know, that's been really fun for me to help people like, you know, avoid pitfalls, you know, don't do this because I messed up XYZ. And I have plenty of war stories for people. So well, um, I hope yeah, we're going to pull some of those out today because I'd love to, <laughs> we always love the war stories. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so being an investor first and realtor second, I mean, how would you describe yourself at this point, which is which takes the precedence? Because I'm sure yeah. you still own properties, right? Oh, absolutely. So I think that I'm, oh man, I would say 50-50 because I mean, I love all my properties, you know, they're my like little babies, I guess, right? You know, and I'm always strategizing with them and being a real estate agent has just kind of allowed me to propel like educating our clients. And that has just been so fun for me. What, you know, like I mentioned, I left my previous job and jumped into this and it's just been so fun. I love it. That's awesome. What were you doing previously? Accounting. Oh, okay. So like public accounting, you know, like that kind of stuff. Worked for an employer, but yeah, I mean, it's just so dry, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, but I mean, you can, I'm sure a lot of those skills, yeah, a lot of the skills can be, you know, you know, copied over into the real estate world. Obviously, you need to For sure. to know how to use Excel. You need to know how to underwrite. And like you said, strategize, make the best numbers work for you. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So Colorado Springs, for our listeners who aren't so familiar, I've been out there. I've been to Denver and Colorado Springs. It's a beautiful place. I mean, just beautiful in the Rockies. But you describe like, what is the market like currently? Because they are two very distinct 
markets between Denver and Colorado Springs. Yeah, very much. So kind of an interesting story. When I first moved out to Colorado in 2016, I lived in a suburb of Denver because I was working up in the Denver area and I invested in Colorado Springs. So I was kind of a commuter to our investment properties. And since then I've moved down South, but it's about an hour away from Denver, hour South, you know, Pikes Peak, it's kind of the most famous landmark, of course, but just in terms of, you know, rental property, you know, points of interest, I call it is, I mean, we have a really diverse economy. Primarily military is, has a huge presence. You know, we have multiple Space Force bases, Army bases, you know, just installations, all that good stuff. So the military is a huge draw, which then, of course, draws government contractors, military contractors for private industry as well. Mm -hmm. So that's very dynamic. And we're also getting a lot of tech groups down here now. So that has been, you know, over the past several years, tech has entered the area, you know, in addition to just like your normal everyday city type jobs as well. So that has been exciting for sure. And yeah, the city has just been booming over the last several years. Right. For sure. There's been a lot of growth. I remember last year I was looking at a multifamily deal to invest in with someone that I've invested with several times. The deal itself didn't end up going through, but I learned a lot about the Colorado Springs market because it was like a multiple property portfolio of multifamily, you know, deals. And there was just so much great information about the growth of the city, the military, you know, contracted, the army, you know, et cetera, the military bases is a primary driver is also, you know, a big college town. And there's a lot of other industries that are there, which really make it for, you know, a place where it's really booming economy. It's still mm-hmm. relatively small when you think about like cities, but there's a lot, a lot of growth and really job growth and population growth. That's the key factors when you're looking at investing and multifamily specifically, but I know you deal with a lot more with single family, right? Yes, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so let's hear some of those war stories. I just want to dive right in because war stories are fun. I know you've had so much experience with not only your own properties, but with other people's and investors. I just love to hear you know anything out there. Yeah. I mean, so I've shared this story with you know a few people, but Burr was my favorite method back, you know, back in the day. It's not so available now, you know, it is in some, you know, context, but one of the R's is kind of out of place at this point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So this is, you know, think back 2016, 2017, 18 timeframe. Yeah, man, I jumped in like head first into this one property and I kind of call it my like learning property. I still have it to this day. I love it because I just, you know, got kicked in the teeth so many times on this thing. And so we bought it from a wholesaler, you know, kind of your typical, you know, newbie investor story where (laughs) bought it from a wholesaler. Of course, we couldn't do an inspection on it because, you know, it's it's a wholesale property, right? So I thought I knew everything, you know, what I was doing with it because we had an identical rehabbed home that we bought, you know, essentially turnkey down the, the road from it. So I'm like, oh, I know what the ARV is. I know, you know, this, that, and the other. So I just remember like getting that email from the wholesaler and immediately calling him and saying, I want it. Um, And they're like, okay, well, so, you know, driving over to title during my lunch break and they're like, well, the sellers are going to let you at least see the house before you buy them. Okay, great. You know, just kind of like poke my head in, you know, not really thoroughly investigate anything because the sellers are the ones that are showing us around and everything. And so 
Yeah, we bought the house and I mean, it was just a mess, an absolute mess. I messed up a lot on the financing piece of it because going into it, this is my first, I call it my first purposeful burr. I have an accidental burr as well, but first burr that I did on purpose, I didn't understand the concept of seasoning and I didn't understand that you need to have your back end financing lined mm-hmm. up before you buy the property. <laughs> so, so needless to say, I messed that all up. I didn't have, you know, seasoning requirements in place. Also through my, you know, very quick head head poking inspection that we had, you know, I thought the bathroom was just a little dirty, just needed, you know, some Tylex on it. No, when we went to go touch the tiles, they're like crumbling off the walls. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it was just a mess. So I had to totally gut the bathroom, gut the kitchen, like basically the whole house got to redo. And yeah, I just remember I had to do a lot of sweat equity in this property to try and get it, you know, up and running because it was way worse than, than I thought. And I'm just like scooping up dog poop in the backyard being like, what did I get myself into? Wow. <laughs> so really yeah, hands on, really hands on. Yeah. So, I mean, it was not one of my happiest moments for sure, but you know, it all worked out. We were eventually able to do a burr on it. And then we've since, you know, since we kind of hit this wave of appreciation, we did another cash out refi on it back in, I guess it was 2021. You know, we got like in the mid threes, pulled out a hundred K, you know, in addition to having the perfect burr beforehand. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, a lot of mistakes, but it kind of shows how resilient long-term buy and hold real estate can be. Like I said, I made every mistake that there is construction, financing, like everything. And it still worked out and I call it a success. So, (laughs) I mean, listen, in the long term, right? It's hard not to be successful in real Mm -hmm. estate if you're holding long-term, you know, you have to ride through some waves sometimes, but I think the biggest mistakes that you had to encounter were just in that initial, you know, initial construction and dealing with issues that you hadn't looked into. And I guess the major lessons are don't buy a property sight unseen, you know, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> or get an actual inspector in there. Don't just poke your head in. True. Oh, yeah. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> you I mean, have really no idea what you're doing. <laughs> for sure. I mean, what's surprising is that did you have a loan set up originally when you bought it or was it a total cash purchase? Yeah. So great question. This was our first foray into hard money lending. So Mm. my terms were not super favorable because I didn't have a track record. So the hard money lender financed 90% of the purchase and nothing else. So I had to bring the 10% of the purchase and then all of the rehab costs. Wow. So yeah. So that was kind of why it was such a bummer to be stuck in that property for so long. But you know, after that one, after I kind of proved the numbers to them, they gave me much more favorable terms thereafter. So that's also something to kind of highlight for people that if they're not super happy with their hard money or their private money lending, like you just, you have to prove yourself before people will, you know, kind of let you have a little bit more leeway. Yeah. It's always the people that have the least amount of experience wanting the best terms. And, you know, unfortunately (laughs) the lenders don't see it the same way. Yeah. (laughs) And in hindsight, I'm totally on their side. (laughs) I mean, I'm surprised they gave 90%. That's also very hard to come by. Even back then, I was actually in 2016, 2015, 2016, 2017. I dealt with a little bit of hard money lending. Like I was doing lending and like some brokering. And I mean, it was just amazing the amount of people 
needs we got, but we're totally unqualified. People just wanting out. And I can't count, you know, how many times a day I would get asked, you know, do you have 100% financing? Like, no, <laughs> like, why would we give you 100% of the money? Like, you need to do something, you need to bring something to the table. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I know you and, and Chris are doing a lot of education. Now I came across some YouTube videos that you did, some webinars, some stuff. And who's the audience of that? Like, who are you? Is it specifically to local investors, buyers? I mean, who's your educational content geared for? Yeah. So really anyone who's interested in investing in Colorado and primarily, you know, the areas that we operate in, but we're very location specific. So while we do dive into more broad tasks, broad ideas and everything like, you know, return on equity or cost seg, for instance, we do like to be hyper-focused and spend a lot of time doing deal analyses of deals that our clients have closed, highlighting different options for people out there. Just like we get a lot of inquiries. Hey, I'm interested in investing in Colorado. Great. Well, what is your strategy? I don't know. Okay. Well, listen to, you know, this, 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 do any of these resonate with you? And, you know, usually after that point, giving them kind of a menu option. Yeah. I'm interested in this market doing this strategy. Great. Right. Okay. Let's kind of work from there. So, you know, and we like to focus on that hyper-local knowledge and be the, you know, the thought leaders of that niche. And I think it's such an awesome kind of platform that you've created because of that. And anyone who's listening to this, who is in their specific local market, I think what you can learn from Chris and Jenny is how to become a local expert and create a thought leadership platform, create a YouTube channel, a podcast, whatever it is, local meetups that set you as an expert of real estate in that area, because you'll see you just become a local resource. People flock to you and then that you know just grows your business you know exponentially. Yeah, it's been fun and it's been great getting to meet other people that way as well. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, have you guys brought on new realtors or new agents like through that? Yeah. So when I first joined Chris's platform, it was just me down here. I was kind of, I don't know, guinea pig, I guess, to see if we could expand markets. So, you know, set up all the media type stuff down here. And I was the sole agent down here as well. And we've since brought on an amazing agent. Her name is Leah, and she is our primary agent down here. And then I'm still, you know, running the podcast, the media type stuff, strategy calls. And then once that client has kind of their roadmap in place, turn them over to Leah and she hits the ground running and nice. she's a phenomenal transaction agent. So yeah, we make a really good team. It's been fun. And it's been great finding someone who you mesh with so well to be able to just give the client the best experience, essentially. Sure. Absolutely. There's mm -hmm. it's really, really powerful having a good team and being able to make things happen. I yeah. mean, there's, there's so much can be said about that. I know you, you also invest in Pueblo, which is a really unique kind of town. Can you tell us a little more about Pueblo, Colorado for our listeners who may not be familiar with that? Yeah. So that town is about an hour south of Colorado Springs. So if we're just going, you know, north to south, we got Denver, then Colorado Springs and Pueblo. And Pueblo is, I mean, really, it's a, a historically a factory town. You know, it's definitely like very unique history down there. Mm -hmm. So I've enjoyed yeah. kind of nerding out on that sort of thing. But just from a real estate perspective, I am attracted to it just in the sense that the numbers still really work. 
Mm-hmm. And doing a deep dive into the economics of it, you know, Pueblo, sometimes it gets a bad rep around the state, but I think they're doing a lot to try to revitalize, bring businesses in. They have a whole, I'm blanking on the, the group that they have down there, but it's like one-stop shop for businesses to get set up down there because they don't want them to get discouraged. Like, oh, this isn't a pain. I don't want to, you know, set up my business down here. No, we're actually going to facilitate it to make it easier for you. You know, just kind of that aspect to it that they're trying to bring in, attract mm-hmm. a lot of businesses in. I did a deep dive into the like population and median income and everything. And it is steadily going up. And that's really, that's what I'm looking for. It doesn't need to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of people there, but if the population is growing and it has grown for, you know, many years, that's a positive to me. So, and then the other thing is that as Colorado Springs tends to get more and more expensive, we're seeing a lot of military personnel live on the North end of Pueblo because Fort Carson is on the South part of Colorado Springs. So, you know, either you can live in the North part of Colorado Springs and pay for very expensive housing, or you can live on the North side of Pueblo, you know, to get into Fort Carson, probably about 30 minutes drive in either direction. And the housing is much more affordable. So yeah, that's kind of what we've been seeing down there. So yeah, so long story short, I bought my first property down there. I did not try to do a burr, nothing fancy. It was literally just like, you know, a very cut and dry rental property down there, single family home. It's very close to CSU Pueblo campus. So that was appealing to me. Yeah, so it's been great and the tenants have been fantastic. So I'm happy, but still too soon to call. It's only been a year. So <laughs> uh, no, that's great. No, I just I find it curious because having been there and having, you know, kind of learned about it and I'm really into history, it's kind of this strange, you know, town. Yeah. And you know, in Colorado, it's like an old western, like still has that feel of like this old western kind of town and like ghost town almost in, in a lot of yeah. ways. But but like you're saying, there's businesses and there's actually, you know, good population that, you know, it's like it's grown a lot. And that's really what you're looking at when you're looking at growing economies. And especially like you said, the population growth of Colorado in general and in these towns of Colorado Springs and then kind of spilling over to these other more, much more tertiary markets makes it for, you know, interesting, especially if you're local, you know, if you're local yeah. and you have the ability to, you know, to be there. I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because it jogs my memory that back when I was investing in Colorado Springs while I was living, you know, close to Denver, people would say, why Colorado Springs? Like, (laughs) like, okay, that's odd, you know, and and now they're like, oh, you were so smart to do that. And I'm like, well, you thought I was stupid like five years ago. (laughs) So which is it? (laughs) So yeah, it kind of has the same vibe to me. I don't think it will ever be on the same, you know, scale as Colorado Springs, but just in terms of like what a rental property investor is looking for, I consider it to be quite viable. For sure. For sure. And are you guys dealing with mostly investors, would you say, or are there a lot of people like, you know, first time home buyers and things like that? Yeah. So we primarily work with investors. I think Chris told us it was 80% investors. We do work with, you know, first-time home buyers, family friends of the agents on the team, of course. Right. But a lot of our first-time home buyers that come to us is because of house hacking. You know, we oh, like right. to specialize in house hacking and help people find properties that would work for that strategy. And Very cool. I mean, it's the best way to get into real estate, I think. For sure. And I mean, yeah. the house hacking is such an incredible 
if you have in the market, if you have properties available. And obviously, I'm assuming, you know, Denver and Colorado Springs have small multifamily properties to do that in. Mm-hmm. Actually, I know yep. they do, but but not <laughs> yes. every market does. And that's where it becomes a lot more challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of what we've found a shift over the last couple of years is that people that did try to get into a duplex, triplex, fourplex, during this last rush, the first off, you know, first time home buyers didn't really stand much of a chance from a competition standpoint, because we're having all cash buyers, you know, scoop these things up. But what we found is that houses that you can easily convert, you know, five bedrooms, three bathrooms, that sort of setup. Yeah, they have been absolutely phenomenal. And then that investor is able to move out and rent out the bedroom that they were living in. And usually cash flow quite well after after they've done that. So that has kind of been the winning strategy for a lot of people down here. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think if I recall, Chris actually wrote a book on house hacking in Denver. He did. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I think it's just called the book on house hacking in Denver, I think. <laughs> but you can reach out to me. Also, you know, we can send you a copy. If, yeah, we if can. You uh, it, so. <laughs> we can, yeah, definitely. You know, get that on in the show notes over there if anyone wants to check out the house hacking Denver book because you know, there's so many tricks and things you need to know, especially when you're getting so hyper local, which you guys do. Uh, mm-hmm. So I love that, Jenny. I want to transition now to we call the final four, and we could go on for for hours here. But first question I want to ask you here is what is the worst job that you ever had? Yeah. So I haven't had too many jobs. I'm kind of a serial, you know, loyal job person. But in (laughs) in high school, I worked at a fast casual restaurant. And Mm. yeah, there's a lot of hangry people that came in. So that was a little difficult, I think. (laughs) It's always hard working in a restaurant, no matter where you are, what you do, what age, what type. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those difficult jobs. Opened my eyes as a teenager to you know, how people interact in the world, I suppose. <laughs> and what not to do, right? <laughs> what, yeah. not to, what not to do, how not, yeah, actually, absolutely. Second question, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah, so I would say that probably the book on investing in real estate with no and low money down by Brandon Turner, that was the one book that I actually was listening to it as we bought our first local property. I was doing some, you know, minor renovations to it. I was listening to the audiobook and as I was listening to it, I said, "Oh my gosh, I think I finally understand what this first strategy is." Like it finally clicked. <laughs> it was a little late, but it finally clicked for me. And so I'm like, "I think I can do it to this house." And that was kind of our very first that's the one I call an accidental burr, but that was our very first burr was through listening to that book and it really shifted my whole way of looking at real estate and looking at possible deals. So I think that one pretty much changed my life on that. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's really, a, I mean, it is a life changer, really, when you mm-hmm. come to do it. You talk about an accidental BRRRR. And for our listeners who, you know, we're talking about BRRRR is the acronym for BRRR. I mean, there's maybe a few R's in there, three, four, five <laughs> R's, depends, but it's buy, renovate, rent, ref- or rehab, renovate, whatever it is, Ren- refinance, which that's the one that's challenging nowadays. With mm-hmm. uh, and then the final R is repeat. Just keep yeah. it going, right? Do it again. Some people sell them, right? Do the burrs, you know, method. But you know, the <laughs> refinance and repeat. Just keep them long, long term. That's the method. So amazing that a book can find. You know, sometimes you just need that clarity. You need to have something told to you in a different way, and to just kind of have the light bulb finally turn on. 
Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I learn, I'm probably an experiential learner and it took me being in, you know, the thick of it with pain up to my elbows going, oh, that's what they're talking about this whole time. It didn't really click mathematically, which is kind of funny since I am rather analytical. But yeah, sometimes you just have to be in the middle of it, I think. For sure. I mean, with and also with behind you with all of those kind of diplomas and certificates (laughs) on the wall, you know. (laughs) Well, some of those are my husband's, so. (laughs) 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 You know, I'm an experiential learner. That's true. We all experience, you know, we all learn through different methods and different means better than others. So yeah. third question I'm going to ask you is what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Yeah, I wish I had a talent of cooking. I try like, you know, almost every night I try. I'm not too great. (laughs) I kind of get really frazzled in the kitchen if things are going off, you know, at the same time. So that's a skill that I, you know, I really wish that I was good at. Yeah. But I don't know if it's something can be learned. I probably is. <laughs> There's a lot of... I think I'm just not naturally good at it. <laughs> it's just yeah. one of those things that I have to accept. <laughs> I know. I know people like that too. So don't worry about it. <laughs> See <Yeah>. that <laughs> you're good. Hopefully your husband is, or, you know, at least yep. you don't, you know, I we used don't to say, starve. yeah, <laughs> you know, I used to say my mother, you know, her favorite thing to make was reservations, you know, so that's, uh, you know, just fourth and final question is what does success mean to you? Yeah. So success to me is having the ability to do what you want almost when you want. And really that's it. So it could be, you know, having the ability to take a job that's more fun, more fulfilling, but Mm -hmm. might be lower paying, or maybe that does mean sit on the beach all day, or maybe it means just being able to take, you know, an afternoon off and go for a hike. That to me is successful, just having full control over your time. For sure. And it's so amazing that this is really probably the most consistent, like variations of this is probably the most consistent answer that I get on the show from guests, which is really eye-opening, especially in a society where so many people put too much emphasis on money or numbers or Mm -hmm. financing, things like that. When the people that, you know, when I hear everyone that I talk to is, no, that's not what success means. That's really why I asked the question, because it's just eye-opening to hear that, especially to our listeners who hopefully they're listening all the way to the end and hearing this as well, that it's not about <laughs> you know financial success from people that are very successful financially don't define success as financial success. And that's really an eye-opening to me. Yeah. That is really interesting that everyone kind of you know veers towards that direction. I mean, I kind of see wealth as a tool to achieve your success. And there's a point where I think there's just a diminishing return of somebody mm-hmm. chasing additional wealth. Like, you know, there's more important things to life. And I think that, you know, that's important to, to keep in the front of everyone's mind. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Jenny, finally, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they want to? Yeah, we will go ahead and include a link to Chris and and my group that we were referencing before and our website. And yeah, definitely click around. I think my email's in there somewhere, but feel free to reach out to me. You know, I'd love to answer anyone's questions that they might have. Yeah, especially if anyone wants to invest in Colorado, you know, Denver, Colorado Springs or Pueblo, you know, Jenny is the one. resource to reach out to. So really grateful for you to take some time today and join us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. And to our listeners, thank you guys for joining all the way to the end once again. And remember, until next time, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? 
If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.